Hello there, everybody, and welcome back at long, long last to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy from the Manchester Evening News, and we can only apologise for the massive gap in between podcasts. There's lots has happened, so there's a lot to talk about, and here to talk it all through with me. Back from his jollies over in the USA is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a, a long time since I've, we've done a podcast, isn't it? And especially with me taking a nice mid-season, mid-season break mm. just as City were playing Bayern Munich. But uh, now I'm back now, back for the uh, the treble push, if you like. Exactly. And I, I'm actually devastated. I can't remember the little jingle I came up with for <laughs> your food tours in America during the pre-season tour of the States with City. But a little quick rundown. You've been all over America once again. Any good scram to report on? before we get to well, the important business of all the football. We, we did go to New Orleans, and let me tell you there, the, the food is absolutely mm. brilliant there. All like the, the crab boils and the, the, mm. the gumbos. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. I am a very, very jealous man. But I'll tell you what else was absolutely fantastic. And that was Manchester City's last 10 days or so since we last spoke. Wins everywhere. And the latest of which came on Wednesday, and probably the least impressive of which, but a win nevertheless. 3-0 over West Ham United. Second half goals from Nathan Ake, Erling Haaland, of course, and a massively deflected Phil Foden strike to give City the win. But it was far from plain sailing and quite a uh, against a quite a resolute, well-disciplined and you know spirited and unlucky West Ham side in the end. Um, a first half that they really frustrated City, who were a little bit flat after such a such a big and draining last week or so. But if anything, it's kind of impressive for City to these sort of games in the past. They've struggled and maybe wouldn't have got that winner. And, and here they end up winning comfortably, even after a, a first half when they were far from the best. Yeah, it wasn't really a three 0 game, but that's the kind of team City are. They they can have an off day. They can be tired and just a bit lethargic, and and still end up winning three 0 and breaking the record for most goals in a Premier League season. Um, it was, it it was a weird game because when I was writing my report, I was thinking everyone's going to be talking about Haaland, but the actual game itself wasn't great. I don't. It was probably the worst I've seen City play for for a long time. It just felt like the atmosphere from the players, maybe the fans as well, was just a bit complacent, which is what Guardiola's maybe tried to avoid. But he's spoken about the, the tiredness in the squad, hasn't he? And he said, you can't be tired when we're fighting for these titles. But then he goes and drops Edison because mentally he needs a rest. And if Edison, who is a goalkeeper, who yes, he needed to do a lot of sort of on the ball work, but when your goalkeeper needs a rest, it just goes to show sort of how much football City have been playing at, at such a top level and if if they went through the Arsenal game which they'll have had to be on you know the the top of uh, everything when it comes to sort of attitude and concentration and and just getting themselves up for that game then they went to Fulham and, and that was a very very tough game they really had to dig in at the end of, of that game to, to see out the three points it's kind of understandable that when you see West Ham come and they've not got Suchek they've not got Rice they've not got Kurt Zuma there's They've only got five substitutes on the bench. You can kind of think, oh, well, we'll, we'll roll them over. But I, I got the impression that maybe for the first 45 minutes or so, mm. City just thought they were going to win and it wasn't like that at all. West Ham were really good on the press. They were going straight for Stefan Ortega, who, you, do you know what? He passed the test comfortably. He did very well on the mm. ball, which he, he hasn't always done when he's played in the uh, in the Cups this season, but he did very well and... City just kind of had to slowly just get the foot on the ball and, and pass it around. But no, the, the first half was very tough to watch. And even in the second half, Ake scores the goal. It's a, it's a good header. Um, 
I think West Ham, we were just talking, must be absolutely sick to consider a set piece after doing so much good work. Then West Ham get back into it and the, the crowd are just getting a little bit, you can feel the nerves and they're, they're trying to raise the, the team. And at one point, Pep Guardiola turned to the, the fans over his left shoulder, then over his right. And he was like, come on, we need twice, something. It might, yeah, it might have been twice, but th- there was one sort of definite sort of time where he made mm. such a big effort. And to be fair, the fans responded and he, he gave them a bit of a, a clap, but it didn't last long. And every time the, there was trying to be a bit of a, a boost from the stands, someone then gave the ball away and just the nerves crept mm. back in. So it wasn't until Haaland chipped that ball over Fabianski that it, it sort of it was calm again and you knew City mm. were going to win. But I suppose every game in a title race has that kind of game where you've got to find another way to win. You've got to win mm. when you're not playing well. And if, if you're going to win 3-0 when you're not playing well, then that that's that's a, mm. a, a really good trait to have. And the only thing City needed to do that day was win. Win that first game in hand, go back top of the Premier League, have that advantage over Arsenal. And if City keep on winning, Arsenal can only get top of the league one more time this season and I think that's less than 24 hours because City then play the following day City are now in the ascendancy and they won't mind at all if they've had a bad game against West Ham if if the points are on the board I don't think at all mm. Well it was quite a similar game I kind of thought or at least in the kind of atmosphere as you say it was kind of went from I, I, I find it hard I don't want to say complacent because I think that's kind of a, kind of betrays yeah. a bit of arrogance but it's more just uh, flatness I think it was just like oh mm-hmm. run of the mill which you know the weeks we've just had, we should do this quite easily. I, I, yeah, maybe that is complacency. I guess that is the definition. But it, I, I don't feel like I feel like that betrays a certain sort of arrogance to see, which I don't think is there. I think it was just more. Yeah, when I say complacency, there's there's no yeah. arrogance at all. It's just maybe amongst. I, the I just sports. think there's a lot of football being played, hasn't it? Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. It kind of reminded me, kind of fittingly, since it's the fourth year anniversary coming up on Saturday, I believe, of that famous 1-0 win over Leicester. And mm-hmm. the difference, though, was whereas it took a stunning late goal out of nowhere, completely out of the blue for City to kind of win that match, they didn't look like scoring at all in that game until company just said, you know what, no, I'm the, I'm the big boss man, I am the leader, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this into my own hands, and th- that he did. City don't need didn't need to do that. And I think that's kind of shows how much they've grown. It's not a case of relying on one, a, you know, a shot that doesn't usually go in, a centre back blasting it in for thirty yards. Didn't need to do that. They kept to the game, and, and maybe a set piece isn't how they usually score, but it was a lot more comfortable than than that game was. And I think as I was kind of getting to, it, it's like it's, it's understandable. We've talked about how Pep needs to manage his squad and to win a treble or to even win the title, you need to, it's really difficult. It's really draining. There's a lot of um, hard work, a lot of hard matches in quick succession. It's going to drain your squad. And City's squad is smaller than it probably ever has been this year as well. I think it's more than just managing who's playing and the minutes to certain players. It's how you play games, games like the Arsenal, Fulham, as you say, um, the Bayern Munich, the, even the second leg where we thought City would be a bit more comfortable, it was far from that. If anything, it was um, less comfortable than the first leg with how much Bayern um, hurried and harried them. That's a lot of draining matches to have in a three-week period. It's understandable somewhat that you then go into this West Ham match, kind of like the Sheffield United match as well, which was far from entertaining, where they don't want City don't kind of need to be that intense they need to try and conserve as much energy as possible. And if they can still come away 3-0, even when being a little bit flat um, and, you know, a little bit kind of turgid, a little bit kind of hard to break down. And I think, they say, that West Ham game ended up being more difficult than they expected just because of how resolute and really disciplined they weren't. 
you know, you said they were pressing Ortega trying to catch him out. But when, you know, Diaz or Walker or um, Stones were on the ball and they were trying to draw West Ham out, West Ham weren't biting. They kept kind of really solid nine, ten players behind the ball and just really made it compact. And it was only when City started stretching the play at the end of the second half of Grealish on that left flank that City chart started to get a little bit momentum. And I think... We've seen City have enough chances at the end of that first half hitting the woodworks wise to kind of know that they would kind of prevail it quite comfortably, I think. But to come through those early struggles, you know, as Guardiola always says, City will have to suffer. And they did suffer. It was difficult. I think all, I think Ake and Harland both admitted as much afterwards as well. But you can't expect everything to be so comfortable. And to, to come through so comfortably at the end of those struggles, I think, um, just shows how much they've grown as a team and how much they are really look set now to go and do special things. I think he said after the Arsenal game that, yes, we've won it, but when we beat Arsenal in the past, in February, we then followed it up with a draw at Nottingham Forest. And yep. there's a couple of other examples of winning a big game, say at mm -hmm. Chelsea, and then they lost to United in the, in the derby. They beat Fulham in that sort of really late uh, 95th minute penalty. There's fantastic scenes at, at the Etihad. Guardiola says it's his best ever moment at City Manager. Next time out, they lose to Brentford, they're a bit flat. So... I think Guardiola is very, very wary of winning a big game and then following it up. And they have done. You, you can't argue with, with the sort of mentality and, and the attitude that they've shown against Fulham and, and West Ham. I think it, it, they were a bit more on it at Fulham. They, they took control of that game and then had to sort of grind it out. This one, they weren't on it and had to sort of uh, work out how, how they were going to go and, and win that game. And, and they did it just by doing what they always do. I think they, they accepted probably midway through the first half, it's not going to be the, the game where we blow these away. We're just going to have to grind them down with with the ball, pass it around. And like you say, they hit the hit the post twice in the first half. We're, we're saying it's a rubbish first half, but they could have been 2-0 up and, and out of sight and, and far easier than it was. But, um, you know, we, we, can, we can say the performance was a bit flat. It wasn't the best game to watch, but they've come away with a 3-0 win. And at this point, at this stage in the season, all they've got to do is get those three points. And if they keep on doing that, they'll win the title. And no one's going to remember that they struggled for an hour against West Ham. I mean, I don't think they will anyway because of, of the record that Haaland set. But, mm. you know, these are the type of stories that... I mean, we could have come away from that game saying, oh, City are, are struggling, they're tired, they're, something's wrong and, and they might drop points. Instead, we're coming away saying they've got the best ever striker in the Premier mm. League and the, the top of the league and, and who's going to stop them. And it's those sort of little tweaks in, in how you frame a game afterwards that I think City are sort of, as they always do at this stage of the season, they're just winning and winning and winning mm. and, and looking like no one's going to stop them. I think it's important to kind of, point out as well it's impossible to get so emotionally worked up and hyped and adrenaline pumping for every single game you can't go into matches like City did against Arsenal like the first leg at Bayern Munich week in week out because you'll just be emotionally shot with before too long you know um even in doing that in a tournament is difficult enough I mean Argentina they were running on fumes by the end of that final just because every single match um, was ended with like heroic celebrations and such emotion in the dressing room and so much that even positive energy does drain you eventually. So I think it is important to keep in mind that City with nine games left, is it now? Some tough matches to go and of course, very important ones. They need to kind of manage themselves, you know, mentally and emotionally as kind of Guardiola said in regards to Edison um, it's a lot. It's not just physical. It's it's kind of in the head as well, mentally. And if they use all their kind of emotional energy on games where they don't really need to, they might not have any of it left when they really need to get themselves up for 
you know, Real Madrid coming up next week. So it wouldn't surprise me if Leeds on the weekend, which we'll touch on to a bit later, it's, it has a kind of a similar pattern, especially with the, the looming shadow of the big man who is now back in the game. Well, we can't wait to talk about that a little bit later on. But first, you know, you know, there was probably not many too many standout players from the game, but Erling Haaland is, of course, the headline story. And it'd be a miss of us if we did not shower him with praise because he is, of course, already with, what is it now, five, six league games? Is it six, five, four? Five Whatever many it is. Left. Five league games. He is now the all-time record Premier League scorer, undisputed regardless of how many games in a season with 35. There's plenty more to go. I think he needs two or three more to actually get the all-time league record, which was set by a Sunderland player in the 60s, whose name I do not remember, but you know who I'm talking about. And then, of course, the the heralded 63 of Dixie Dean. It's him, his sights as well. I don't think anyone thought he'd ever get broken, but my God, there's not much else to say about him, as he said himself afterwards, but Christ alive, he's just something else here. Yeah, I mean, it It was a typical Haaland game where he didn't really do a lot and then he's alive at the perfect time and that, that finish was just brilliant. I think Fabianski made it a little bit easy for him, but he still got to chip that over over the goalkeeper and yeah, it was it was one of his probably more eye-catching goals because it's a, a one-on-one and I, I think it, it it's fitting that it was against West Ham because that's, mm-hmm. that's the team at the start of the season where... You know, he, he comes into that game and everyone's saying he's going to be a flop after the Community Shield and he's he's missed that chance and is he going to adapt to it and how many more goals is Darwin Nunes going to score than Haaland, which is it's just ridiculous looking back, isn't it? And, uh, and then he, he goes he goes at the London Stadium and, and scores a penalty mm. where we, we know City have had their problems with penalties. He's made that penalty as well with a darting run and then the link up between and Haaland for that second. You come away from that game thinking he's he can score quite a lot in the Premier League. I don't think anyone expected him to score this many, but I mean, you look at him now and how he's played, of course he was going to do it. He he scores goals for fun and he's always in the right place and he doesn't have to do anything, but he, he's always there and he, he can he can finish so, so naturally. But I, I was saying the last couple of games, Arsenal and, and Fulham are probably the, the two best all-round games I've seen him play in terms of dropping deep, just using that space really cleverly and and allowing other players to to go into that and and set them up. His, his assist for De Bruyne at the start of the Arsenal game was was brilliant, absolutely ridiculous and very very clever. He had a couple of sort of similar ones against. Could have set Grealish up for for a goal, but the, the keeper was equal to him. He wasn't as involved against uh, West Ham, but that shows how sort of improvement so it shows the improvement that he's had this season I think in that he can change now from game to game he's such a different player that he started um, at West Ham and at, at Liverpool he's not just a finisher anymore he, I mean he never was but now he's, he's adding that link-up play and all the players know where he's going to be now they know when he's going to make the run in where to cut it back to if they're at the byline he knows what like what they're going to do as well and I mean, Guardiola said himself, he's got the record, but it will be broken and probably by him next season. Are, are you counting against Haaland getting less than 35? I'm not sure you are. So, yeah, it's five, what, five games left, isn't it? He's got a chance to extend that. Mm. Whether he'll play every game, I'm not sure. I think it's 12 more he needs in all competitions to to equal that Dixie Dean record of, of all competitions, which would be, I, I think, at his current rate, He's going to just not equal it, but is he going to play every minute of every game with Real Madrid coming up with the FA Cup final? 
I'm not sure. If anyone can do it, it is Haaland. But I think if he doesn't reach that record, he's not going to be too disappointed. And as he said the other day, he'd swap his 51 goals for, for the treble. Mm. Don't quite buy that. I think I worked out mm. that his goals have been worth 23 points to City in the Premier yeah. League, which would have them down in fifth. Mm. He scores important goals as well, doesn't he? So, um, exactly. I, I don't quite buy his, his swapping the goals for the treble, but the treble is and, and the trophies at the end of the day are what he's there to win. And they, they come hand in hand. I'm not sure he'll win that mm. that outright record, but he's got to have something to aim for next season, hasn't he? <laughs> I know exactly. He can't have it all achieved in one year, or he might be looking cut eyes astray. That's the only thing that might stop him from scoring, breaking his own record if he's not actually in the Premier League to do it. So maybe City ago, like when Guardiola, if City had won the Champions League a couple of years ago, would Guardiola have gone sliding doors moments? Who who knows? But you know. <laughs> 51 goals, which I can only imagine have been scored in record time at City. I, I, if someone's done it quicker, please tell me, because I cannot imagine they have. Um, but well, he, he's kinda, been the quickest what, to, what, 10, 20, 30 goals. I, I, yeah. I would imagine he's quickest to 50. I, I'd be stunned. Um, but, you know, 50, 51 already. Um, what have been some of your favourites? I actually watched, a little, before we kind of got online, I watched a little compilation, which, even though it went up to his first Bayern Munich goal in the first leg, was 22 minutes long goal compilation. Hmm. And there's how many goals has he scored since then? So by the end of the season, a goal compilation may end up being about an hour long. But he's scored some... What I found quite striking, kind of watching them all, you know, simultaneously, so, so many of them, the rebounds, it's actually insane. Yeah. It's not even like it's his actual skill. Anyone could pretty much score the chance, a lot of the chances he gets, if, you know... Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he's always there to score them. Like anyone could stick it in and do the tapping, stick it in from a post. I probably couldn't. I'm rubbish. But a lot of people could. And it's just the fact that he's always there. It's not like any other professional footballer couldn't do what he's doing physically. It's like they're never, no one's ever been good enough to be there to read it all the time. Like he is so, so many of them are rebounds from like keeper saves or defense, or you know, goal mouth scrambles or hits the post. It's, it's, incredible and then there are some other ones that are a bit more captivating so i'm going to ask you which are your kind of favorite goals slash goals harland has bagged so far well if it, if it was that easy someone would have done it before wouldn't they exactly you know everyone talks about harry kane and, and he's an incredible striker but harland has taken that to to a new level i think in terms of favorite goals that the brighton one really stands out where he just bodies the defender and and scores and that that was i think what city had hoped he was going to do because it, it was sort of reminiscent a little bit of when he put ruben diaz to the floor in in the champions league before he arrived at city and uh that that one stands out i wasn't there for the the dortmund one the the acrobatic one or or his southampton one but um i think the only goal he scored from outside the box is is at wolves which just underlines how how uh how he scores his goals. Um, I was looking, I remembered one in the derby, but I couldn't exactly remember how it had gone in. And I just watched the derby back, the the 6-3, and it, was, it wasn't it was that brilliant a finish, but it, I think it was more about Kevin De Bruyne's ridiculous assist where he just curled it around about five defenders and, and Haaland was there. I think that sums up their, um, their relationship. I'm now trying to remember, I think I told you another one, which one did I say... Well, I mean, he scored so many goals, hasn't he? Um, you know, it's the ones where he's running through on goal, a bit like the West Ham. It's a bit like, you know, West Ham on the opening day. They're, they're the ones that, that really stand out. I, I suppose Fulham, the penalty at home, it is just a penalty. What the scenes that it, it sort of sparked and he'd come back from injury, he'd come off the bench. One of the only times he has, he'd, um, you know, 
he, he celebrates like he's he's won the league, takes his shirt off. They're the kind of goals that sort of show that he is really, really invested, isn't he? He just loves scoring mm. goals. It might just be a penalty, but he's still there to score it as well. So, yeah, I think they're the ones that stand out, but I think the Brighton one, that that's, feels like a typical Haaland goal, just bodying a defender to the floor. Yeah. Yeah, it's very funny. For that very reason, the the, the recent one against Bayern Munich when poor yeah. Dale Meccano got like, maybe he slips, but I think Haaland made him slip and made him look like an absolute, oh, <laughs> poor lad, absolute donkey. And, you know, that goal was very funny. Me and Simon enjoyed it very much at the time. And as you say, I was there for that Dortmund goal, so I think that's probably my favourite mm-hmm. in terms of kind of pure awe because I had the perfect view of it. You know yeah. full well whether where the city press box is and you could basically see at the corridor of players. I think it was, might've been mm-hmm. you know, Stone Scott. It might, I'm going to guess it was De Bruyne because it often is, or Grealish perhaps, who kind of put the ball in the Cancello. box for him. And you could, it might well have been. And you could just see the ball floating down and you see Haaland just mm-hmm. eyes on it. And you're like, he's scoring this, isn't he? And I was already down going goal. <laughs> and then he somehow gets his foot up to a ridiculous height to put it in. That was incredible. The Southampton overhead kick as well is up there in the terms of the kind of acrobatic feats. And a couple more, that the, the other trend that I kind of saw from his goals, and maybe there's a piece in that somewhere, so don't make that off me. <laughs> is that the way he kind of and this one was against Liverpool in the I think it was in the what the first game back after the World Cup, and it's it's kind of a similar trend, he does it quite a lot. Is the way he just surges in front of defenders, defenders think there's no one around them, they've got the ball coming towards them, they're going to head it clear, and he just surges from behind them in mm-hmm. front, nicks it at like the near post, and it goes in. And that movement, as I say, was brilliant, and then. Probably one of the nicest on the eye was a, a team move against Leeds, which his finish was only a tapping in the end. But the way he kind of, um, De Bruyne and Grealish, who set it up, played the ball around really nicely and it was set up for him to just tap home. So, you know, there's a lot you could say. I think it's easy to say there's a lot of a lot of his goals are the same. I say a lot of them were rebounds, but he has done every type of goal. He's done the acrobatic screamer. He's scored. He has scored from inside the box. He's gone one-on-one and finished. He's um, been clinical. He's got headers. Like It's not just a tapping merchant, despite how many kind of goals he does get from that range. He can, he can do everything. He's just the perfect kind of striker, isn't he? And I must like say, you say that, that yeah. movement in the box, when, when you point out that Liverpool one, I immediately thought, I think it was Crystal Palace where City were 2-0 down. A ball goes in, it's not getting anywhere. And suddenly Haaland is... He sprints to that ball and, and powers it home and, and sits to a, a level and then kind of kind of sort of influential goals where they're not going to win any goal of the season awards, are they? But again, if it was so easy, everybody would do mm. it every week. Exactly. I think that's just the most telling thing. Like he's not doing anything that no striker in history physically couldn't do in the way he scores most of mm. his goals. But the the consistency and the clinicalness with which he does it is just never been seen before since the 1920s and Dixie Dean I suppose but um you know he scored his goal and there was uh, I I talked to yourself and uh uh colleague Lee after this and about the guard of honor afterwards and I thought it was so lovely I I, I could, maybe I'm just going really really soft and emotional in my um you know aging <laughs> days but honestly I was really quite moved by it. everyone was so happy and seeing his little face after he'd been slapped the hell out of by all of his teammates and all the coaches and the kit men and everything and just seeing how giddy and happy he was oh i i was i was oh i thought it was really lovely i was a bit honestly quite emotionally moved by it i thought it was so nice and maybe it was pre-arranged or whatever but i think it's just and to a deep level i think it just just show it's not a ego thing or anything like that like harlan is completely ingratiated himself straight into the team he's not even though he's the star he's not like zava off ted lasso or anything he's one and amongst the team even if he is the main man now it doesn't 
he certainly doesn't look that way in a team that's never had a main man before, really, under Guardiola. He's not kind of nowhere near that kind of uh, big ego star syndrome. He's one of the lads and they, they all feel obviously the same. And it was just, I thought it was just absolutely lovely. Wholesome scenes. I'm a sucker for him. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it was genuine and, and Guardiola came in his press conference afterwards and, and was just delighted and, and he said it was pre-planned and, you know, it's it's an achievement that deserves to be recognised and they don't need to make a big fuss, but that's the sort of nice little thing that, that they can do. We were saying it would have been <laughs> ironic if he'd got injured <laughs> during that that uh, sort of guard of honour, pat down, sort of injured his neck or something that, that keeps him out. But um, no, he was... Uh, the the love for him in that stadium is sort of unconditional. Every, everybody loves him. He seems like he gives as much time to the staff as the players. And like you say, no no huge ego. And he just wants to get on that pitch and, and score goals. And he is definitely, definitely doing that, isn't he? And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't see anyone in this for a long time apart from Erling Haaland. Well, with that, we'll bring part one to the show to a close there. We'll be back in just a moment to continue dissecting Wednesday's win over West Ham. Don't go anywhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Uh, Joe, of course, Haaland's been given a lot of airtime, but one other player I thought was a, another standout and has continued to be a standout over the last few weeks has been Jack Grealish. He was City's main creative outlet in that first half where things were a little bit slow. The things that were going right for them were all coming through Grealish. He was the one stretching the play. I thought Riyad Mahrez had probably one of his kind of worst games of the year. Kind of uh, Neville pointed out quite a lot. He was coming far too narrow, wasn't getting on the ball enough, wasn't really doing much with it. In contrast, Grealish was continuously hugging um, the the left side of the pitch. He was linking up really well with Bernardo, who was constantly overlapping him. I say he nearly set up Grealish. Um, Haaland a couple of times in that first half hit the post himself, and then just continues to be, you know, and as as you put in your player ratings, I think you gave him the highest of the lot actually with eight, and I and I completely agree with that he's the one who won the free kick for the opening goal, and he just continues to be so influential. His numbers might not be the best in the world on paper, you know, you'll probably see idiotic and still verified football banter accounts going, oh my God, 100 million for Grealish and he's only got four assists. They are dead numbers, lap. <laughs> and you just look at him and go, you're an absolute buffoon, mate, utter buffoonery because he might not get the numbers, but as Guardiola has always said, he's not been brought here just to score goals and assists and he's influential in pretty much everything, even if he doesn't get the final touch. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. Well, that the Ake one, the shows the sort of the importance he has to the team, but he doesn't get those stats. So he's the one who drove forward when no one was doing that in the first half. He drives forward, wins a free kick, and then Mara steps up and takes a free kick, and Ake scores. There's no stat for that. He's not going to get a, a goal or an assist for that, but he's the one who helped make it happen. He gets the assist for the second one and it was, again, driving forward and, and playing that perfect pass to Haaland. If you look at the Fulham game, the ball comes out to him. That the, the tactic was very firmly. Kyle Walker gets it, plays a diagonal ball to the winger, which it often was um, Jack Grealish. He then puts the ball in. I think it might be Mahrez again, hooks it back and Alvarez wins the penalty. The ball comes in from Grealish. He's the one doing a lot of that work that's making the chance happen. And because he stays so wide and he's always there, 
he could have had two goals, as we say, against Fulham because he was in space and hugging the touchline and making just making the space for himself. Um, I think he is he's come on so much this season in terms of awareness and, and tactical ability and discipline. And he started the last 15 Premier League games. You don't do that in a Pep Guardiola side if you're not doing the job right and you're not playing a role and you're not playing consistently very, very well. He's keeping one of Foden and Mares out of the team. I know Foden's had his ease, but you, you've got to do very well to play to, to do that. And especially when you've got someone like Bernardo Silva, who's playing very well this season and, and can pop up on the wing as well. I just I just think he's he's not only playing well, he's he's starting to impact games, even if he's not getting those those goals and assists all the time. His, his record's still still pretty decent. If I look now, he's got five goals and eleven assists this season in all competitions. That's not too bad. He might want a, a few more, but I think his his overall contribution to the uh, to the team, to the attack, he's linking very, very well with, with Haaland these days, which is very important. I think he's playing a, a sort of understated role in Haaland's improvement off the ball as well because they've they've got that link-up play, they've got that relationship now where they know where each other's going to be. And last season, he'd get the ball, he'd cut back, he'd pass it back. You'd never thought he was going to do anything with it this season. You can tell that the, the fans are on the edge of the seats now when he gets the ball. Is he going to go to the byline and put a ball in? If he cuts it back, it's a clever ball. He's doing it for a reason. And now I think he's... Obviously, Haaland will win all the the Player of the Year awards, but if you're looking for a Player of the Year after Haaland, which I'm, could be an idea for a, a piece or a podcast towards the end of the season, Grealish has, has got to be up there. You, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a piece in it because you took the words absolutely out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's up for discussion. Um, literally, exactly how I was going to start this point, so I'm now scrambling for replacement. <laughs> and I'll go with you, you kind of point on the link up between the pair. And yeah, it was his kind of incisive pass um, for to put Haaland through such a quick against the, the way City are kind of countering in that transition with such rapid pace this season. They're so deadly, and you know, usually. And I think there was a part in the first half, wasn't there, when Hal- when Mares did the opposite. There was a moment, and it was kind of a rare throwback to what we've usually seen from Haaland, um, especially in that Leipzig game, where he he was ready to go. He was on the verge of running through, and Mares could have played the ball straight away, but he kind of cut back, kept the ball, pushed it back, and Haaland went, oh, you could see him mm-hmm. look to the sky and clench his fist. I was like, and I think Neville pointed out, it's like, oh, he was there, you know, what? how many goals would Haaland score if they actually passed to him? And maybe Mahrez doesn't, maybe he's so ingrained in the keep the ball, be possession-based. But as Grealish kind of new to the team and was kind of struggling with the balance beforehand last season, didn't know, you know, was struggling to get that balance of his own kind of flair and uh, directness compared to the what City wanted for him or what he thought City wanted for him. Grealish, in contrast to what Mahrez did in the first half, Grealish just hits that pass immediately plays Haaland through and it's a great goal and as I say the way City when they get those transitions right I think they're counter-attacking better than they ever have at the moment it's not all just keep possession and control all the time despite what Guardiola tends to say the way they win the ball back and counter is it's, it's up there with kind of the top of Liverpool's um, kind of peak under under Jurgen Klopp of course and I think at least three assists from Grealish have been for Haaland because uh, he, he did two in one game against Leeds and I'd imagine there's more and then there's that one on against my sound, of course. So at least 
got a quarter, a third of his assists, and maybe even up to a half, I can't remember off the top of my head, have been for Haaland. So that relationship is kind of, we thought it'd be for the, it'd be between De Bruyne and Haaland, and it, of course it has been, again, to an extent, because of the assists De Bruyne gets. But really, the, the relationship they've kind of sparked together has been is really promising. And again, this is only the first season. This is Haaland's first difficult year in Guardiola's system, getting used <laughs> to his unique methods. What on earth is he, is he going to do next year? And of course, the conversation has turned back to Haaland again, but... The, the way the pair are working is it's spellbinding at times. Yeah, it's. I think it's confidence. You know, Grealish has always been a good player, but he, he, by his own admission, he took that year to just grow in the confidence. He said it was harder to adapt than he thought it would be. And, you know, you, we've seen countless examples of players needing that time to, to adjust. But now he's, I think something clicked around the beginning of the season. He went away, he had a good World Cup. And since then, he's come back and... He's been unstoppable, and you know he. If you'd said a year ago he'll start a Champions League, uh, you know quarterfinal double header against Bayern Munich, I'm just confirming that he did start both. Yes, he did. If, if you say that he's going to start probably two legs against uh, Real Madrid and say they get to a final, he'll probably start that as well an FA Cup final. You'd have probably doubted that idea, wouldn't you? But it's a very real possibility now and no one's arguing because he's he's now so so important to this to this side. Absolutely. And another player who's important to the team is of course Nathan Ake, who was a welcome return on Wednesday and a return of a bang, powering in the first header squirming under Fabianski. Um I think it shows just how highly Guardiola rates him, how much he relies on him that he was straight into the team, no questions asked. Phil Foden still waiting for his first start coming up to three weeks, at least two weeks now since he returned from his appendix removed. But Ake, no messing. Of course, it was a much lesser lesser serious, less serious mm-hmm. injury than Foden's. But there was no kind of messing or um, easing him back into things. He was straight back into the start against difficult opponents in Antonio and Bowen. And again, just picking up where he left off with such a calm and composed presence at the back. Yeah, I thought he was a. He looked like a player who hadn't played for three weeks in the first half. I thought there's a, a few examples where he just maybe just needed a little bit of time to to just get some minutes back into his legs. And uh, but everyone in that team wasn't really at the best in that first half. So it's it's not just Ake who who looked a bit rusty. But um, no, after the break, he's it was almost an identical goal to uh, to Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. That you know the back post. Just loses his man. It's a perfect ball in, and he just heads in in there. When he's only scored three goals this season, but they've all been important goals. You know, a winner against Liverpool, a winner against Arsenal in the FA Cup, breaks the deadlock on a very very difficult game against West Ham. I think everything like you say that that he's come back in straight away. Guardiola opted for a Kanji there when he wasn't playing. A Kanji did okay, but clearly isn't a left back. The fact that Emil Laporte has has sat out. I think he started about five of the last. 22 games that he's been available and none of them have been big games they've all been before or after a far more important game Laporte would have been the obvious choice to replace Ake left-footed defender the only fit left-footed defender in the squad I'm not counting Sergio Gomez mainly because he's played as a sort of backup player for the, the most part this season when you're looking at your senior players Laporte is the one who comes in isn't he but he's he's just He's been left on on the fringes, really. And the fact that Ake, as you say, has come straight back in, I think shows where both players are in Guardiola's thinking at the moment. And again, like I say with Grealish, if you look at the Real Madrid game and in, you look at the fans, what they're saying as well, they want Ake to, to start against Real Madrid and they see 
City's success to a point, depending on on whether Ake plays, which is again a, a sign of how far he's come, how, the, the hard work he's done. Um, he's he's been brilliant this season. You know, you, you seem to indicate that that Grealish is the the player of the season behind Haaland. I'd I'd put Ake right up there as well as one of three or four players who've had very 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 good seasons, and he's, he will clearly have a, an important part to play in the last eight or nine games as well. Absolutely, and I think it's quite telling that. The, those two players there, Ake and Grealish, and Haaland to an extent, are both players who weren't even regular starters last season. And now they are two of the most important players, two of the first names on the team sheet. And I think it just shows, again, how good Guardiola is at just improving players isn't he, and coaching them. I'd, I'd love to see, well, I suppose we have seen it a little bit with Gomez, um, <laughs> which might be a bit mean, but like a player who isn't that good at all and he's only young bless him and wasn't meant to still be in the City squad anyway it was City's own balls up in the left back summer department that meant Gomez stayed but it, I, as I was getting to it, I intrigued to see a player who's kind of not on that level if they can be coached by him but I'm guessing maybe not because it's, it's it requires such a highly intelligent fit and just superbly talented footballer to be able to um, get into that but maybe what's the difference is does Guardiola make them that good or do they have to be that good to begin with? I think Zinchenko might be a good example. He was a, a kid who's played in midfield and ended up being a left back who was excellent and still excellent now at Arsenal. So it's just testament to how remarkable he is a coach and to still be getting improving players after, you know, 10 years, no, not even that, 15 years he's been at the top of his game now. He took over Barcelona in like 07, won the treble with them in 08. That's a long time for a manager to be at the absolute pinnacle. It's like most of the big managers in recent years kind of fizzle out after that. You think of kind of Capello or Mourinho off the top of my head. Um, uh, who's the other one? Um, Hiddink players like managers <laughs> like that. Like, or Joachim Lowe again, who's kind of, kind of fallen off the cliff now recently. Football moves so quickly and it's so uh, um, evolutionary, always changing. Some managers can so often get stuck in the ways and want, if they don't change with the sport, it leaves them behind. Mourinho being the, the prime example. So often, the top managers only stay at the peak for a decade. Is usually the kind of um, standard life expectancy at the very top level. So Guardiola to still be here 15 years, still adapting, still learning, still changing. And he's still young. He's only, what, 50-odd? He could be doing this for another 20 you know, If he follows Roy Hodgson, he could be still doing this for another 25 years. So it's just testament to how brilliant he continues to be. Yeah, I think Zinchenko is a good example there where I, th- I think he would admit and City fans would probably admit he, he wasn't as good a footballer as a lot of his teammates, Fabian Delph as well. He's coached them out of position, hasn't he? And I, th- I think they're they're very good examples of, of how how just good he is at finding a problem, but always finding a solution. And I mean, Nathan Ake isn't a left back; he's a centre back who is left footed, and he's now he's gonna gonna potentially win a treble as a left back. And yeah, I, yeah, Gomez. Let's let's remember is an attacking midfielder who's had one season for Anderlecht. He was never going to come in and be City's first choice left back, but. Um, yeah, we'll 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 see what happens with, with with Gomez whether whether he stays and can kick on like others have. I'm not sure, but he's he's not been he's not been the worst player City have ever had a, at all. But no, I I agree with everything you say. Guardiola and, and other big managers, apart from the one manager you did late leave off, who's still at the top of his game. I'm sure we will talk about, which is uh, Big Sam Allardyce. Oh, don't <laughs> tease me like that. We've got other stuff to talk about before we get to the big man. 
Very excited, very excited. But before then, we do have to kind of talk, well, I'd like to talk, I should say, about Julian Alvarez. Now, we kind of were talking before the episode, and we had a little bit of disagreement on his display against West Ham, but we'll kind of incorporate his Fulham performance as well, considering we'll be talking about his two starts in succession over the last week. And against Fulham, um, he was he was excellent. He, got, he won the penalty, and he scored the winning goal, of course, with an excellent finish up there in front of City's goals of the season, I'd say. And he's come in. And he's been often doing it this throughout the season, this midfield role, kind of the Kevin De Bruyne role, basically. When De Bruyne has been out, it's been Alvarez who's been coming in for him. And it got me thinking about how, how well he's kind of been doing in that midfield role whenever he, whenever he's played that. I think he played out wide maybe in the like the early starts of the season, but not often. It's usually when he's played. And that's what we kind of expected Um before the season, he said himself, didn't he? I can play out wide if I need to. We thought he'd be the Jesus replacement Um or the Sterling replacement to kind of, uh, if Grealish or Mares were injured or Foden, Alvarez would come in out wide and then he'd play up front if Haaland wasn't available. But it's not really been that. It's not really been the case. And I say you've been lucky that they've never been without more than one winger at the same time. So instead, Alvarez has been playing in this middle role, uh, midfield role. And I think he's been doing really well. It's really suited him because for, for a player coming in who's so clearly behind Haaland and he's never going to get past Haaland as long as Haaland's at the club. To kind of change, and maybe Jesus did well. He did go out wide, but maybe Jesus could never quite get suited into a different role and never quite fitted in the team with a striker in ahead of him. Whereas Alvarez, I could see him quite easily just becoming this midfielder. Now, of course, he isn't as kind of technical as De Bruyne and is kind of really good on the ball. And obviously, his distributions. You know who's who's is as good as De Bruyne. But I thought the energy he brought into the midfield. And I didn't get to watch the Fulham game, but I watched West Ham. Because that's my job, and I thought the energy, while not being, while not being his best performance, while being nowhere near as influential as he was against Fulham, I thought as far as his energy, his work rate, I think he did one really nice flick around a player to kind of get a bot, the kind of uh, a move moving. I thought he fitted in really well into the role as he has done all season, and it's like, could that be his permanent position, or at least as long as Haaland's at the club and. You know, there's been transfer a bit of a transfer blow this week in which it seems that Jude Bellingham is going to Real Madrid instead of City. City going to need some midfield reinforcement this summer regardless because Ilkay Gundogan's future is still not sorted. Bernardo Silva still may want to um, go back to mainland Europe. De Bruyne's um, well into his 30s. I think he'll be 31 when the next season starts. By no means retirement age or anything, but of course you need to plan for the future. And I'm just wondering, with, with Bellingham... Probably going to be missing. Probably going to missing out on him. Does Alvarez being so good in the role kind of soften the blow? Does it make City's squad a bit healthier because they've got a player who can quite easily, as he's shown, fill in in that position? And maybe it's you know a, a, a tick in the midfield column. They probably might not have thought they had um, if, when they were originally planning for this summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Alvarez. I think when he's come in, he's he's largely done a very good job, and it's a really difficult role to play second fiddle to Haaland. I mean, he did it at the World Cup playing uh, very much supporting actor to, to Lionel Messi and he's, he's had to do that at City but whenever he's come in, I think Fulham summed it up. He was brilliant and I don't think anyone expected him to play in that role slightly behind De Bruyne but he's done very, very well at it. As you say, he's never really played out wide and the fact that he was so good at Fulham, he was coming deep, linking play, he was running forward and making runs to to occupy the defence. He won the penalty, scored, as you say, one of City's goals of the seasons. We were right behind that and it was such a such a sweet strike. Um, Guardiola said afterwards, maybe I've got to find a way to play Alvarez and Haaland and De Bruyne rather than 
instead of one or one or the other. And I think that just shows how good he's been. He, he fully deserved the start. If if De Bruyne was a doubt, there was no need to risk him against West Ham because Alvarez can play that role. Now, I didn't give him the highest rating, as as you said, against West Ham. I thought he was just giving the ball away a little bit too much, struggled to get involved. It was a different kind of defence because West Ham were... They were pressing high, but they were also dropping really deep at the same time. So I just didn't think he got got involved much, and he he can get swamped by a by a low block sometimes. But as you say, if there is a way to to put them in the same same team, if say Ilkay Gundogan goes, maybe that that role slightly behind Haaland, maybe give De Bruyne a little bit of a deeper brief to uh, to play sort of the role that Gundogan does. I, I I think they can easily play in in the same eleven, and you've got Alvarez, who's he could end the season with a World Cup medal, Champions League medal, Premier League and FA Cup, and how many other players have done that? I uh, I made the mistake of suggesting that that may put him up for Ballon d'Or consideration in group chat this week, and got absolute pelters. I I don't mean that he will win the Ballon d'Or. I just I just thought you know other players have won trophies in the past without playing sort of being the best player in that team and had consideration like Jorginho, for example. He he could play a supporting role and winning for four of the top trophies this, this year. And I think that just shows the contribution he has to his teams. I, I don't want this to be me saying that Alves will win the Ballon d'Or by any stretch, but he, he just he's so important to Argentina and I think he mm. can play that, that role for City as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think we said many times it was his inclusion in the third group game, I want to say, alongside uh, Alexis McAllister and Enzo Fernandez, which really changed Argentina's fortunes and got them clicking and got them ultimately to lift the trophy. I, I do wonder if that's ever been done before as a treble, as a player ever won a treble in a World Cup in the same calendar or same season before. I'm trying to think. Well, Spain, only one Barcelona. In, in England, hasn't there? So, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, it will depend on. On one of the other countries, Barcelona but... players, I'm mm. guessing, but they didn't. Spain didn't win the World Cup till 2010, did they? And Barcelona's was 2008. So I don't know. I can't. Ima- I can't imagine there's many who've ever done it. And what what a feat it'd be. You know, we often talk, well, and I certainly do, of this kind of difficult first season because again, we've said it many times because Haaland's kind of taken the shine off Alvarez a little bit. It's kind of going under the radar. 15 goals and five assists in his first season in England. He he hasn't. You know, as maybe the trend's starting to buck a little bit because he hasn't struggled at all. I wouldn't say kind of developing. No, he's obviously not played as much. He's not been um, reliant on as much, and naturally the pressure on him hasn't been as high just because it was an under the radar signing compared to Haaland. But the way he's done so well in his first season, again, he, he's bucked the trend alongside Haaland this year of just really settling in. And I think, as I say, he could easily have. I mean, he knew what he was getting into when he signed, given Haaland came before him, but. He, he could easily assault and moaned and still be doing and wanting to leave because he's not the main striker. But instead of doing that, he's adapted and he's made himself, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the 12th player, isn't he? He's the one who comes in when someone else can't play. And that's not a bad role at all to be in, in your first season in Europe, let alone England or the Premier League. I, I was looking at his stats and he, he averages his parents because he's coming off the bench so much or if he does start he's often the first to be sacrificed and he's still mm. got 15 goals and, and five assists which is very very mm. good it doesn't matter who you're playing against if you're the second support striker and you, you're contributing 15 goals that's exactly what you want to do and I mean situations City effectively got rid of Gabriel Jesus 
was because they knew they had Alvarez. Jesus had 10 goals and 7 assists, so Alvarez is doing mm. better than, than Jesus. In a different team, Jesus has had injuries, but it's been a, a, a pretty successful replacement and you, you can see a place for Alvarez in this team going forward. Uh, mm. um, he, he fits in, he's versatile, he can replace Haaland, he can support Haaland, likewise with, with Kevin De Bruyne as well. Um, I think if if he can work out how to get a look at those games like like against West Ham, he's, he's going to be a, a very, very dangerous player. Interestingly as well, of his 15 goals, only two of them have actually come off the bench and the first mm-hmm. one was in the Community Shield, that late one against Liverpool, and the other was a penalty against Southampton. He hasn't really been an impact sub. Most of his, well, literally the vast majority of his goals, 13 of them, have come when he started. And I think he's only started, I want to say, it might be 19 games now. Um, so 13 goals in about 20 or so starts, wherever it is, is is great going. And, you know, if he starts more, I'd love to see, as you say, him alongside De Bruyne for a change. Hopefully we see that before the end of the season, maybe even next. I think it's got the makings of a really exciting time. And again, with Bellingham likely not coming to the Etihad now, maybe maybe the alternative is already in. But with that, we'll bring our talk on the win over West Ham and the other Premier League happenings in between <laughs> to a close. And next we'll hear from our producer with the juicer, Mr. Connor McGilligan, a very depressed Leeds fan, who's now going to tell us about his turmoil his trauma of seeing big sam in charge at ellen road and he'll preview to give a leads perspective of saturday's match we'll be back in just a minute Hello City fans, it is Connor here, your Manchester City video reporter outside the Etihad uh, today after a 3-0 win over West Ham United, another fantastic win for City in second, third gear really and still able to put away um, a decent Premier League side who've not been on form this season but still have good quality players. I'm out here to preview the Leeds United game. Um, believe it or not, everyone, I am a Leeds United fan, so <laughs> so uh, there's probably there's probably a lot that I can tell you about Leeds at the minute. We will have um, a preview uh, on the Talking City podcast, so make sure you check that one out. But I thought I'd come on here and give you a preview outside the Etihad and and discuss everything that's going on uh, with with the club. So yeah, Man City on fire, Erling Haaland breaking records, Jack Grealish getting the top marks when it comes to our player ratings, Riyad Mahrez getting assists, Nathan Ake getting goals, is there anything that Man City can't do at the minute? Probably not. The Haaland Globetrotters, the Avengers, many comparisons have been made to this City side and I think it is the best City side I've ever seen from a neutral perspective, they just look on fire, they're too good at the minute for the majority of well, every single Premier League team when you look at, at the quantitative data. And, and I just think that they're going to be too much for a Leeds United side at the minute who are in disarray. A Leeds United side who's brought Big Sam in, who's compared himself to Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta and all the top bosses. And he's right when it comes to experience, a wealth of experience, whether or not you think that um, that is a correct statement when you look at Pep Guardiola's dossier and, and Mikel Arteta's relatively new dossier, but still highly impressive. If that's a different question. But you, Pep even understood what... What what Sam Allardyce meant because listen, um, there's there's been a lot of qualities when it comes to Sam's career. Pep referenced Neil Warnock, who seems to have got another team out of the bottom three in the Championship, and some of these managers are absolute um, specialists when it comes to certain certain ways of getting out of certain things and, and achieving certain things in the game. So you've got to respect that. 
Sam Allardyce has been brought in at Leeds United as a, an individual who is going to get the best out of this Leeds side with four games to go and um, whether or not you believe that, that's what the Leeds board have believed and it has been a chaotic season for Leeds. Uh, Grazia being sacked recently, Marsh being sacked recently and it seems like Leeds just haven't got it right since Marcelo Bielsa. And yeah, um, it's been it's been a real struggle uh, for the Whites to be able to get the right man in and progress from board level to the next step. And I think this is going to see Leeds United relegated from the Premier League. And I don't think that's going to. I don't think Sam's going to change the fortunes at the weekend. I think it's going to be probably you know one of Leeds' biggest humblings of the season. Not that the, the side need humbling really. It's been a pretty fraught season when it's come to wins and when it's come to good consistent performances. I just see it being a difficult one this weekend for Leeds to come here with the quality that they've got, with the defensive problems that they're having at the minute, and to be able to stop a Man City side who are literally on fire. So, yeah, let us know what you guys think in the comment section. But as I say, we'll be speaking on the Talking City podcast about this, but I don't see Pep resting many players. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously, he's been injured. Does he start with the likes of Nathan Ake? Is, does Riyad Mahrez coming in? Uh, come in? Uh, Phil Foden got a goal, didn't he? The other night, will Phil start? I'd probably say so. Is Erling Haaland going to start against the, the the club where he has got connections with in Leeds United? Erling will continue to, to want to score goals. That's 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 the part of his um, makeup. But but will Pep now rest him for the Real Madrid game, which is coming very very soon? Or, or will Pep think to himself that there is no mistakes that can be had here? You know, City struggled to really create chances in that first half against West Ham. He won't want the repeat. Of, of, of that against Leeds United. He'll want to be able to get the job done early and substitute key players early and get them ready for the Real Madrid game, which is coming thick and fast for the citizens. So a lot of things to consider here, but Pep has a wealth of options. Cole Palmer is going to be in the wings, ready to play. Julian Alvarez is, is someone who is begging for minutes at the minute. Phil Foden, as I've just mentioned. Riyad Mahrez, anytime he's played consistently for Man City, even if it has been in a, a rotation aspect, this season has been phenomenal. City have options, and I think we know that, and Pep knows now the right options to use at the right time, and I think that's why City are going to be way too much for Leeds United. Let us know what you think, everybody, in the comment section below. Do you think Leeds are going to come here and cause an upset, or do you think City are just going to be far too strong for the Yorkshire side? And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's from a Leeds United perspective, it's going to be... It's going to be a tough one, I think, this weekend uh, to watch. <laughs> so let us know what you think in the comment section below. Everybody, really appreciate your support, and we will see you soon. See you later. Thank you very much for that, Connor. Listen, you don't need to be so sad. Big Sam is the man. He's <laughs> going to keep you up. And let's talk about it, Joe. City v Leeds on Saturday. A, a strange kick-off time, even though it's on telly at 3 o'clock. It's kind of defying um, the, the media blackout due to complications with the game having to get moved from Sunday because the City are playing Madrid on Tuesday. But as I kind of talked on earlier, I see this being, you know, if Sam's only been in a few days, has he had enough time to get him drilled, get him disciplined? Wouldn't put it past him. So I kind of see a quite similar game to West Ham. Maybe Leeds will be indisciplined, um, a lot less disciplined than West Ham, where maybe they'll crack a little bit earlier, especially going to... The Etihad, but if, if Big Sam can kind of do what West Ham did in just frustrating City and making it slog, getting the fans nervous, it could be a could be it could be an interesting match. But it's, it's either going to be a Big Sam laughing um, like he did at Chico Flores with a point, <laughs> stealing a point at the end, or they're going to get battered absolutely six 0 something. 
Yeah, well, I said before this, didn't I? I said it's going to be 1-0 to Leeds or 8-0 to City. It's, it's it's not going to be anything in between. I think if, if Javier Grazia was still in charge, it would be a walkover. You know, City could make a few changes. It will be interesting to see how City line up because they have Real Madrid away directly afterwards. I think that will maybe influence Guardiola a little bit, but he also knows that they've still got to win the games in the Premier League to, to win the title. So I'd expect a strongish side with the intention of trying to make some changes from the sort of hour mark onwards, take Haaland off if De Bruyne's back, give him the minutes he needs to be fit, but then take him off or, or just keep him on the bench for, for a long time. However, the the best way is to, to manage his fitness. Um, City will know exactly how Halladice will line up, even though he's not been in work for a while. It's you know he's he's not going to be taking City on at their own game, is he? It's going to be a low block. Look to to get somehow a clean cheat and, and nick a goal on the break, and it'll be up to City to to uh, to break them down. I, I just think it's it's going to be the ultimate clash of styles, isn't it? The 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 big Sam versus versus Pep Guardiola. I'm not sure if they've met before. They must have done, but. Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It, it just it gives the game a whole whole new dynamic, and I mean, obviously, Allardyce raised eyebrows, didn't he, when he said he's up there with uh, Pep and Klopp and and Arteta and those sort of managers, and everybody's saying, "Oh, what are you talking about, Sam?" And that was put to to Guardiola at the end of the uh, West Ham game, and he said, "No, you know, he's you know, without these old managers paving the way and and doing it, then the young managers know nothing." And as long as you, I know, everyone says. If you're good enough, you're old enough. Guardiola is basically saying, if you're old enough, you're good enough. If if you're still in a job, and and doing it, and and that's what these are the kind of managers clubs are turning to to get them out of trouble. Guardiola pointed out that it's now Allardyce, Warnock, um, Hodgson, and even the likes of Sean Dyche are in are in work to save seasons that haven't really gone to plan because that's the kind of football that, that gets you out of these sort of perilous positions. Well, Joe, you tell me where the lie is in what Big Sam said, because he, he just speaks <laughs> nothing but straight facts and fire. The pioneer of stats and uh, what's it, what was it called? Pro, Prozone, is it? Um, the stats site. He brought it to these showers. He's a revolutionary. He's a great man. He's a great manager. And it will not surprise me if he kept leads up and got himself a fat, juicy bonus at the end of it. What? A man who knows his worth, a man who knows how to get the bag and a man who's just died. Ah, what, what a legend. Love him. And it's going to be very fun to see him on the sidelines again. Oof, I, I thought, you know what? After Everton, after West Brom, I thought he would done. He was on his little, little podcast. No tippy tappy. <laughs> oh, you can't write it. Um, it was it's like, just poetic, isn't it, that his first game is I away at City? He's back. I didn't think the season could get more weird and better and funny. And somehow Big Sam, <laughs> with old Ryder Boy, why not keeping Huddersfield up? Big Sam, he's wormed his way back in just for the last four games. A little, a little lovely epilogue. And if he keeps him up, oh, it's going to be funny. And again, I, I, of course, we want City to win. We want City to win that title. We want City to win that treble here on this podcast. But it will be very, 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 very funny if he steals a point from the Etihad and somehow keeps Erling Haaland quiet. But as you say, it's hard, it's hard to say how... Well, we know how we'll set up, but it's hard to say if he's kind of two or three days in the training ground, we'll have much of an impact just yet but it'll be interesting as you said there what kind of Pep does you know Ortega coming in on Wednesday starting a Premier League game before Calvin Phillips for City which paints its own uh, 
paints its own picture. Where, where do you, where, what do you, I presume Edison's back in, but do you see many other changes, of course? Does De Bruyne get wrist, even if he's fit? It looks like he's back. We had a picture of him training. We'll know more later on from Guardiola's press conference, of course. But do you risk him before Madrid? Do you want to give him minutes to get up to speed? It could be a scrappy game. Do, do, who comes out? Who comes in? Does Gundogan come back? Alvarez keep his place. Uh, Bernardo on the wing. Foden maybe for his first start, as we said. You know, he's finally got his first goal since since his surgery. Does he make his first start? There's a lot of, you know, for such a small squad, there's always uh, interesting options for Guardiola. I can tell you what Guardiola will say before he said it. He'll say <laughs> we're training later today and then we'll, we'll focus. That's what he always says. But um, now that I think De Bruyne might come off the bench rather than start just because you don't want to. I mean, playing half an hour is probably better than playing an hour. I don't know. He, I mean, we always say this. He he could start and and run the show and and be like he's he's never been away. Um, I thought City missed Gundogan against West Ham. Someone in that sort of doing what I break the lines a little wanting bit. Wanting Julian Alves to do just yeah, break the lines, keep the ball. Um, I can see Grealish and Mahrez starting because against low blocks, they're the ones who keep the ball, keep it wide. Foden probably isn't going to get much joy in behind. A back, what six or seven? It will be. It'll be four uh, five one. Leeds. Don't don't discredit the big man. <laughs> four five one. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, with the with the four dropping in, in between the defenders. Um, yeah, no, I think it will be. I mean, City know how to play against these. It'll be sort of patient possession, moving the ball around, waiting for the chance. Um, I I could see the likes of Gundogan and Bernardo start rather than. Alvarez and De Bruyne just for just for that reason, maybe maybe Akanji comes back in after getting a bit of a rest, and I don't know, Stones or Diaz gets put the feet up ahead of Madrid. I think there'll, do, there'll be a few changes like that. If there's an opportunity, Rodri might come off. I, yeah, I, we, we've seen how this game has gone before, and Guardiola says he won't think about Madrid until after beating Leeds. He's talked up Leeds being difficult. He's talked up Everton next weekend being probably the most difficult game of the running. So he's not going to take them lightly, but also he will definitely want to have players in the best possible position for the Bernabeu. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we couldn't get a podcast out last week, so we didn't get to talk about the win over Arsenal or Coles' heartbreaking defeat in the FA uh, Lancashire Trophy final. Absolutely devastating the real match of the night. But, of course, last Wednesday did end positively for City. A big 3-1 win over their title rivals. And, you know, in the week since, it has felt like a bit of a turning point in the title race. Even, you know, City were reeling the Gunners in, but it's, you know, truly in City's hands now. West Ham was one of their game in hands, which they've won. So they still have one to go against Brighton. But they're now at the top of the table um, with 79 points. And as you touched on earlier, as City play first this weekend over Leeds and will continue to do for quite a while, um, they can stretch that lead to four points. It's by no means an easy trip for Arsenal on the weekend. Either they play Newcastle, who are behind them, in third, or in incredible form, of course, beat their rivals Tottenham six nil. Um, they've won four out of five, only losing and have a shock win, uh, shock defeat to Aston Villa. You can very easily see Newcastle doing them over there with the form they're in at the moment. And I think any more drop points now for Arsenal, who kept it things alive. They kind of had a confidence boost in win over Chelsea. They did what they needed to do, coming out strong and blasting them away three nil in about 25 30 minutes or so. That's kept them in touch in distance, but it feels like any more drop points now, which very may well happen against Newcastle, and it will be kind of good night, Sierra. 
Yeah, I mean, Mikel Arteta said after, he looked very, very despondent after that, that win at the Etihad and he said, he, he was asked, do you need to win every game to, to have a chance? And he said, yeah, well, that'll put us on 90 points and that's all we can do. Anything less, they're not going to win the title. City can afford to, to lose one game and, and they can, can win the title. So, yeah, I think even if Arsenal were to drop points, City won't take that lightly. City, as Guardiola point out, have to go to Everton, which won't be easy. They've got to go to Brighton, which has proved difficult in the past. Um, Chelsea at home should be an easy game, but Chelsea is so unpredictable at the moment that you, you never know. And with the Real Madrid games before and after these games, it takes another an, an, another twist as well. Um, but City have responded very well to that win. They, they blew Arsenal away. They they look like a team that have done this before and knew what to do. Arsenal looked like a team who've never done it before and just sort of throws in the headlights. So, uh, no, I would... I mean, I, th- I think City will continue winning. I think Arsenal will, will continue winning and that'll give City the title. But you've got, to, you've got to turn up to these games. And I think I genuinely think City against Leeds is as difficult as Arsenal at, at Newcastle, just just for the clashing styles and, and having to, to get that job done. Mm-hmm. Now... It's a bit far away, but I don't think due to rotor complications, we can do a podcast next Monday before the Real Madrid match. So why don't we touch on that really quickly? Because there's been a lot to talk about and this has gone quite a while, as we expected. Good job, there's only two of us. Real Madrid on Tuesday at the Bernabeu. It's the team who did knock City out the Champions League semi-finals last year. Uh, has done so um, a few times in the past as well. But they're not... The, 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 it's, it's so strange isn't it? they are the Madrid in the Champions League the same formidable four but in the league they're not going great shakes they're down in third we're beaten 2-0 by David Silva's Real Sociedad and congratulations on him signing a new one-year contract who would have thought he'd still be going at the top level um, still enjoying his Indian summer right, how do you see this one go, um, kind of playing out Rodrigo uh, the Real Madrid winger kind of said um, after the Sociedad defeat that City are scary and no one's been able to stop Haaland. It doesn't kind of reek of confidence, but Madrid are just Madrid on those European nights. And if City, you know, will City be able to just keep this momentum they've had, this kind of confidence, this aura of invincibility, or will their usual or typical shakiness in the Champions League, which they've not shown so far against Bayern Munich and the like, but will it come back against against Real Madrid? They're often their their bitter enemy in this tournament. Yeah, I think the the recent games, big sides, Arsenal, Bayern, um, even Liverpool, who aren't the team they were last season, but are still still Liverpool and they're still like his. City have turned up and been very confident. I always think about the the game at the Bernabeu in 2020, just before the pandemic, mm. is probably the best European performance I've seen from mm. City, where you know Jesus and, and De Bruyne yeah. score, and it was sort of a statement performance. Last year, you would probably say City were the better side over the two legs, but just threw away easy goals and let let Madrid stay into the, in that tie until the last few minutes where they could blow them away. But again, City will always look back and see Grealish running through and did he hit the post or just hit it wide just before those goals? It's It was such fine margins and there is evidence that City have uh, sort of eliminated those fine margins. They've got someone like Haaland who can can score those goals as he did against Bayern. As, I mean, I'm, 51 goals this season. He does score goals and, and will score goals. But there'll, there'll always be that. Madrid, Benzema, you saw Benzema at Anfield when I don't think Liverpool played too badly in attack, but we're just 
obliterated by by that that um, that Real Madrid forward line. And and as long as Benzema's on the pitch, I, I see Luka Modric has seemingly recovered from a ham, hamstring injury after a week. So you know the mind games are in full flow. City won't take it lightly. It's going to the second leg, whatever happens. And you know, offer City a draw at the Bernabeu. I think they'd probably take it. Well, it's certainly going to be an exciting week in the world of City and you know exactly where to go to get all the latest news, expert analysis and match coverage. It is, of course, manchesterevenningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. And that, my friends, brings an end to this episode of the Talking City podcast. We'll be back next week, as I say, probably not before the Real Madrid match, but definitely afterwards we'll squeeze it in no matter where it has to go to talk about all the goings-on in the Bernabeu and look forward to that match against Everton. And of course, if it's still relevant, we'll talk about the weekend's game at Leeds because if Big Sam's got a point, you best believe we'll be talking about that regardless of what happens in Madrid. But of course, if you want to watch this podcast in living colour, you can go over to our YouTube channel and get plenty more content there as well. Uh, Manchester Union News dash Man City. And of course, our Twitter's are Man City MEN and Facebook is Manchester News. Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City and if you'd like to listen to more of these great podcasts get subscribed to our feeds wherever you get your podcasts from because some extra pods are dropping in sporadically throughout every week when we'll touch on uh, the manager's press conferences and any other little um, breaking news and whatnot that occurs keep your eyes and ears peeled and you won't miss out but until next week thank you all very 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 much for listening and we'll see you then to wrap up